Turn, if you would, to the 30th chapter of the book of Proverbs. We started the 30th chapter last week, and some of you are curious what happened to chapters 12 through 29. I'm sure you can get it on the CDs. <coughs> I did tell you we were going to finish Proverbs, right? So we had to cheat. What comes next, she asked. I don't know. What do you want to do? We are going to do 1st and 2nd Kings and 1st and 2nd Chronicles. But we're actually going to cheat and start in 1st Kings chapter 11. And you go, what's significant about chapter 11? Well, that's where Solomon dies. We're finishing the book of Proverbs, and chapter 11 picks up the narrative with Solomon being led astray by all of his wives and porcupines, concubines. And we have the divided kingdom. So we're going to do a history lesson of the divided kingdom where Israel and Judah are split apart, the ten tribes in the two tribes, and look at a series of, well, bad kings. There's a couple of good ones thrown in, but for the most part it's one bad king after another. So that's what we're doing next, starting in about five weeks. We've got about three more lessons we're going to do on Proverbs. We're going to end up at Lesson 31 with Proverbs 31. And uh, somewhere in there I'm going on vacation for a couple of weeks to see my daughter in Maryland. So anyway, that's the plan. That's where we're headed. We started Chapter 30 last week, and it's a very, well, it's a change. It's a transition. We have left the sayings of Solomon, and we've moved to the sayings of Agur, son of Jacob, and we really know nothing about him. We know he's not mentioned in the scripture at all. There is speculation of who he is. There are some um, older Jewish writers who believe it's simply a, another name for Solomon, kind of a nickname. But there really is no evidence to support that. So we don't really know who it is, but we're dealing with the subject of arrogance and humility. And we talked last week, we finished up with uh, verses 8 and 9, which I really do like, and that's why I quote them frequently in here. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. And we discuss the fact that in lots of areas of life, there are problems at either extreme. He is acknowledging the fact that there are problems associated with being poor. There's problems associated with being rich. Neither one is any more virtuous in and of itself. They just have different problems associated with them. And he, in his humility, says, I would just as soon be right here in the middle. I would like to have my daily bread so I'm not poor, but don't give me so much that I turn my back on God. 
So in his humility, he is acknowledging his weaknesses, his propensity to go to one extreme or the other. We're going to see, depending on how far we get in today's lesson, he spends a lot of time just looking at things around him. We're going to get down to the part probably next week that you're most familiar with, you know, three things do I hate. No, there's four. Two things that, oh, there's three. And he looks at things around him and he says, this is a lesson that you can learn from watching ants. Here is a lesson you can learn from watching locusts. Here is a, so that's where we're headed for today's and next week's lesson. So picking up in verse 10, do not slander a servant to his master or he will curse you and you will pay for it. Do not slander a servant to his master. What is significant about that? I mean, obviously, in light of the scripture, we shouldn't slander anybody. What is slander? Come on. This is easy. Saying nasty things about people that aren't true. Because he's vulnerable and has no power, if I slander a slave um, to his master, I am threatening his very livelihood. You see, it's one thing if I walked up and insulted Mike, okay? I shouldn't do it. But you know, the truth of the matter is, there's very little consequence associated with that. I have no authority over him. He has no authority over me. So I'm just going to insult him and walk off, right? But if I slander a employee to his employer, if I go to an employer and say, you want to know the straight scoop on this individual that works for you, all of a sudden, it isn't just, do I dare say the word, a normal sin. It has greater impact because of the power of the servant compared to that of the master. And he says, don't do it. We need to be careful how we present the servant to the master. We need to be careful what our words say. And we're going to see some more verses about that in just a moment. But then there's this next phrase. Otherwise, he will curse you and you will pay for it. Huh. If he has no power... Who cares if he curses you or not? Hmm? God does. God does. We know from Scripture that God is interested in those, I mean, he's interested in all of us, but he is interested in those who are powerless by the standards of the world. God is listening to the curses of the poor and the powerless who have been abused by others. Huh. God is promising that if this individual curses you, I'm going to listen to that and you will pay for that sin. 
all of a sudden it becomes rather more serious. What we thought was an innocent word on our part against someone who had no power over us, no control over us, all of a sudden we see that they have a helper, a another master, God, who is paying attention to what they say. Huh. It becomes a lot more serious. Do not slander a servant to his master, or, you will, or he will curse you, and you will pay for it. While we're on the subject of curses, we go to the next verse. There are those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers. There are those who curse their fathers and refuse to bless their mothers. We know biblically, and we've talked about this at length, that there are two ends of, well, the words that we speak. We'll start with the words and we'll move to the actions. I can curse you with my words or I can bless you with my words. Now, in the preceding verse, we saw a curse that was actually fitting. It was correct. He should have been cursed because he did something wrong and we're told God will listen to that curse. Here we have a curse that in theory, at least according to the passage, has no basis. There are those who curse their father. Now the other end of this is the blessing. We have curses at one end and we have blessings at the other. Where I bless you and ask God to bestow good things upon you. Throughout the scripture, I mean repeatedly throughout the scripture, we see blessings being given. And it was a very serious thing. We have fathers blessing sons. We have fathers refusing to bless sons because other sons had stolen the blessing. Huh, that's kind of odd. This is above and beyond just saying nice things. This is calling down God's curse or God's blessings upon the individual. Now, taking it beyond mere words, we know that I can offer curses or blessings to people by the way that I treat them, by my lifestyle toward them. I can bless you or I can bring you grief by my actions so back to the passage there are those who curse their fathers yes sir that's a good point did you hear that? There are those, there's a translation that instead of, it says generations. It's more than just blessing my biological father. It's blessing or cursing the generations to come. Why would somebody do this? Why would someone curse their father? 
Because they were cruel to them? It's always good to blame someone else. We wouldn't do that. Would we? Well, I wouldn't have, except it was my mother's fault. She made me do it. Y'all don't tell my mother that, okay? Uh huh. We look down on them. Yeah, they had a big blessing, I mean, a big meaning. The question is, should it have the same meaning for us today? Somebody else. It had to do with their inheritance. Hmm. They didn't like it. Entitlement. Ooh, or the lack thereof. Why would a son, I guess we're talking about a son here, a child, curse their father and refuse to bless their mother. We could have a long discussion about why it's not cursing the mother and refusing to bless. But anyway, why would they do it? Ultimately, ultimately, it is obviously because of sin in their life that they are trying to affix the blame for it to someone else. It is interesting if you read a lot of modern self-help literature, so much gets blamed on the fathers and the mothers. I remember a book in particular. I actually know the name of it, but I'm not going to tell it to you because I didn't finish the book. I read the first chapter of it and thought, this is silly, okay? Basically, the book was, you know, it started off in the first chapter. Okay, you know, were your parents totally loving towards you at every time, did they push you just enough to encourage you along, but not so much that it made you feel bad? Did they? I mean, it was walking this tightrope that no human being could ever accomplish. But that was the goal, because the author wanted to say, okay, nothing bad that's happened to you is your fault. We can get on with the rest of your life and do great things. Now, my thought is, If I've had no power over everything that I've done up to this day, why would I think I have any power over anything that I'm going to do tomorrow? You've just removed any responsibility from me, but you've also removed any... Anyway, I didn't think much of the book, so I didn't finish reading it. So, if I begin to believe that I am, the word was used, entitled, that's a great thing, I was entitled to that which I was not given, and I think the observation that in biblical times this would be tied to the realm of the inheritance, then I would tend to curse my father for not giving me what I felt I was entitled to. Now, the observation was made, well, maybe the father really did do a nasty job. Well, biblically, you don't curse your father irregardless of what he did. I mean, he brought you into the world. Does that mean that all fathers are good? No, didn't say that. All I'm saying is, biblically, there's no grounds for cursing your father. So, the son 
is cursing the father. He is refusing to bring blessing to his mother because of sin in his life that he refuses to acknowledge, that he refuses to own up to, and wants to pass on, pass off to the previous generation. It's their fault. And we see this all the time. Now, you would like to think, well, it's the younger generation that's doing this. And I could nod my head up and down with that. But you could probably find cases of it in every generation where the children refuse to acknowledge that which was done for them by their parents or the preceding generations. So much of the blessings that we have in this church, in this country, in this world, were brought about by previous generations who paid prices for those things that you and I oftentimes don't acknowledge. We refuse to bless those who made our lives what they are. I told you this book, is, this chapter, is dealing with arrogance and humility. Humility acknowledges that what I am today is heavily influenced by those who came before me doing good things. My mother and my father, whom many of you all know, did things that allowed me to accomplish things in life. And humility says, I need to acknowledge that. Arrogance says they should have done more. Whatever it is, it should have been, been more. So that is what we're dealing with in this passage. Arrogance displayed in the relationship of children to their parents. Yes. I would agree with that. The observation was the verse, honor your father and mother. Does it have limitations to it? Yeah. Now, let's make sure we understand what that means. You don't have to lie to people and say my father was a saint if your father was an alcoholic and beat you regularly. Okay? To honor someone is to do what is best for them. And... That may be totally different than just putting on your glasses, your rose-colored glasses, and say, oh, they must be a saint because God says I'm supposed to honor them. You do not speak evil. You do not belittle them in public. You just don't do those things. We live in an age that glorifies, I mean, if your father or mother were, you know, some totally wretched person, you're in line to, you know, get on some talk show to talk about how wretched your parents were. <laughs> I, go ahead. Right. Yeah. But there are difficult cases out there. And like I said, honoring them may mean staying out of their reach so they don't hit you. Okay, 
But that's honoring them. That's preventing them to, from doing more sin. Let's start back here. Humility acknowledges the debt we owe to the generations that came before us. Did any of y'all follow any of the uh, Tiger Mom discussion? There was there were several articles written about it was actually about Chinese mothers raising kids in the United States and pushing them to do great things and et cetera, et cetera. And she had four principles that they in, in instilled in their children. And one of them was, the children owe the parents everything. And she said, that's so alien to American culture, where we have this mentality that the children, that the parents owe the children everything. And trust me, I wrestle with that every day. Somebody come here. <laughs> Do I have to? Can't be done. <laughs> A definition of honor in three words or less. I've got a really great lesson on that, and we're not going to do that today. Love, as we've said before, love is looking out for the good of the beloved, right? When I truly love someone, I am looking out for their good. Now, their good may not be what they want. Okay? If your child, God forbid, but if your child is a drug addict, more drugs may be what they want. Love may be forcing them to go to the rehab center. So it is looking out for the good of the beloved. Honor is protecting the name of the person that you are bestowing honor on, protecting their name and their reputation by your words, your deeds, and your actions. We understand that for, say, younger children, honor is obedience. As we mature and as we become adults, obedience may take different forms, but honor never goes away. Honor is protecting the name and the reputation of that person that you're bestowing honor on. So we honor God 
when we speak well of God. We honor God when we behave as Christians because our name Christian associates us with God. So I honor God by my words and I honor God by my actions because my actions, having acknowledged to the world that I am a Christian, my actions bring honor or disdain to the glory of God. So, when I followed the teachings of my father throughout my life, I am bringing honor to my father. My father is now deceased, but that, in one sense, doesn't remove the obligation. Okay? I can give you a perfect example of it. I don't drink. I was raised in a Baptist church. We didn't believe in drinking, okay? But the truth of the matter is, I don't drink because my father doesn't drink, didn't drink. Now, I have reached the point in my life where if I go to somebody's house and they're serving wine or they have a beer with their, it doesn't bother me in the least. More power to them. Go for it, okay? I have kind of pulled away from some of that Baptist teaching that you're going to hell if you have a beer with your enchiladas, okay? You're not going to go to hell if you have a beer, okay? But, but out of honor to my father, I don't drink. Can I talk about you? Teresa's family, we get together and they will have a beer with lunch, Okay, not much. I mean, there's never been anything anywhere, anywhere, anywhere close to drunkenness. Okay, but they do have a glass of wine, and you know what? That's great. Teresa doesn't. Why? Because she was brought up in a Baptist church? No. She was brought up in some, no. (laughs) (laughs) She does it to bring honor to me because I don't do it. Now, once again, do I make a big deal about it? Never, ever, ever. I don't. I really, I really don't. But I show honor to my father, even though he is deceased. Teresa shows honor to me. And that's the way it's supposed to work. Go ahead, Phil. You're going to drag it out of me yet, aren't you? (laughs) One of the problems we have with the idea of honor is that we begin to believe that all honor is is the absence of dishonor, okay? I don't call you a jerk in public. I don't call you a jerk, therefore I'm showing honor to you. You have a child who doesn't 
badmouth their parents in public. Therefore, since they are not showing dishonor, they believe they are showing honor. It's like there's a line on this scale. And when I cross that line, I'm in the realm of dishonor. And as long as I haven't crossed that line, I'm okay. In reality, honor is more, it is above and beyond simply not showing dishonor. It is an action in itself. It is not the absence of an action called dishonor. You see, I have never, ever, ever shown the slightest bit of dishonor to the governor of North Dakota. I haven't. I really haven't. I have no idea who it is. I've never shown them any honor either. I don't know anything about them. So I can't sit here and claim I've shown honor to them. No, I've ignored them. All my life I've ignored the governor of North Dakota. Whoever he or she may be. Whoever he or she may be. To honor someone is to take active steps to ensure their name and their reputation is held in high esteem. It is an action. It is doing something. So, there are those who curse their father and refuse, refuse to bless their mother. There is an active work on their part. We are beyond honor. We are in the realm of dishonoring in this passage. Go ahead. Even if they beat you, why do you have to lie? First off, I mean, you heard the question, right? Even if they beat you, are you supposed to do it? You never, ever sit there and take the beating. Okay? Let's use a different example. Just some use one that we've talked about more and we hate even in equal amounts. The scripture says wives submit to their husbands. And the minute you say that, everybody wants to talk about, well, what if they're beating you? Okay? And what if they tell you to jump off a cliff? And everybody wants to talk about the extreme cases. Until you acknowledge the need to do it in the first place, there are no extreme cases. It's just, I mean, if I'm not going to submit when things are good, why would I do it when things are bad? Okay? A wife is to submit to her husband. What does that mean? She is seeking the good of her husband. Now, let's say it is a bad situation. There are husbands out there who beat their wives. Okay? Trust me. I read the newspapers. I talk to people, they do exist. And it's not as rare as I'd like it to be. 
I might also acknowledge there are wives that, anyway, that's a whole different story. A wife is to submit to her husband. That does not mean she sits there and allows herself to be a punching bag. If she is seeking the good of the husband, removing herself from that situation is really what is in the good of the husband. Now, if she then in turn runs down to her friends at work and starts telling them all the stupid things that her husband is doing, and oh yes, he's beating me too, then she is not showing honor to him because they don't need to know that. Now, I might add, at work recently, we had to sit through a video about domestic violence because the reality is it does bleed over into the workplace. Somebody may need to know. The person who is checking you out at the grocery store doesn't need to know. I've been the next person in line and I've listened to these things before. I'm going, why are you telling this in a public? You don't have, you shouldn't allow yourself to be a punching bag. You need to remove yourself from that situation. No questions asked. In the case of the church community, you should go to the elders of the church because they have an obligation to know. They have an obligation for the spiritual and physical needs of the church. They have an obligation to tell your friends and buddies, no, you don't lie to them and say, yeah, he's a saint. But you don't have to tell them. The question is the condition of your heart. And I'm not pointing at you, but the, the wife in this case, heart, is her goal to bring honor to her husband in the midst of this difficult situation? Or is her goal to show the world that he's a bum? And there is a possibility of both. And I'll be quite frank, my natural tendency is to let the world know that he's a bum. Okay? Right. I mean... Go away, okay? You know, we've had discussions before, okay? I have a very strict view about divorce. I'm not a fan of divorce. But you know, if divorce is what is necessary to keep your husband from beating you, by golly, let's bring in the state. It says they hold the sword for a reason, okay? Now, you should go to the church and all that. For, I mean, we go through that process too. Honor doesn't mean lying about people. What it means is seeking the best for that person in whatever difficult circumstances. I mean, let's face it. I could hand the mic to Teresa right now and she could spend the next four hours telling you my faults. She could. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying this. She could. <laughs> but you don't have a need to know that. It'd be dishonoring. It would be dishonoring. So, there are those who need to know, and we report to them. You know, it's like if 
your spouse robbed the bank. Okay? Call the police and tell them your spouse robbed the bank. But, but you're doing that because you think he needs to repent. Not because he's a stupid jerk and you want to get him out of the house. <laughs> Go ahead. In a healthy in a healthy society, the neighbors, the church community would step in and deal with those situations. I'm not saying that there is a ironclad, here's the right answer, okay? My my concern is not that they're not hard cases. There are hard cases. And you I read the paper. There are hard cases. But it's like the discussion of you know the the nazi comes to your door and you're hiding jews um do you do you are you obligated to tell the nazi the truth and we have this long discussion about you know about whether you should or shouldn't if you haven't taught somebody that telling the truth is the right thing to do the nazi coming to the door is not a problem if you have a young person who is used to lying to their parents about everything else, they have no moral problem with the Nazi coming to the door. Our society is not interested in wives submitting to their husbands. It is just not interested in it at all. So the situation of the husband being abusive, and there are abusive husbands, is not a problem. If the wife's not going to submit to the husband when he says, let's go this way, then I understand the question. I understand all the problem situations. I understand that there are situations where the natural thing to do is to curse your father because he was abusive. I understand that that's the natural thing to do. But I understand that for most people, not everybody, Given the number of people in this room, there are people in this room who had abusive relationships with their parents, who had horrible relationships with spouses. I understand all that. I am not hiding, covering over any of that. But most of us had okay or pretty good. or And for us to curse our parents is to refuse to acknowledge the good that they brought into our life. And you are right. We need to be vigilant. In the case of children, for example, you know, we need to know what's going on with our neighbors. We need to know, not as spies, but as those who are interested in the well-being of those around us. So you are right. It gets, it gets horribly difficult. And finding the, I mean, I can't pretend to know what honoring a husband would be like if he was abusive. I've got a mental idea of it, but I can also acknowledge the fact that the natural tendency, and rightfully so, is to return all the evil that was given to you. And if you can't do it physically, you'll do it verbally, you'll do it some other way. That's our natural tendency. And... Uh, 
Sometimes we need to fight our natural tendencies. And as I said, and as I said, that's easy for me to sit up here and say when I had a good relationship with my parents growing up. There are difficult situations out there. No question about it. There are times when it is hard to show honor to an individual. I understand that. The question is, are we going to attempt, and we'll just start with that. We'll just start with that. Are we going to attempt to honor those who God says we are to honor, are we just going to give up because the world today doesn't give a flip about honor? It doesn't give a flip about submission. It doesn't give a flip about any of those. I mean, I will give you an example, okay, that will irritate a lot of people. I did not vote for the current president. That may, not come, that, that may be a surprise to some of you, but I didn't vote for him. But you know what? If he walked into this room, we should all stand and acknowledge that he is the president of these United States. Because of his position, we are to give him honor. Now, that doesn't mean we can't vote against him. That doesn't mean that we have to believe everything he says. But he is the president of the United States, duly elected, of these United States. And as such, if he were to walk in, I would address him as yes, sir, no, sir, and we would show honor to him because of who he is. David and Saul. Okay? And that's hard because some of us have problems with some of the policies. Okay? But he is the President of the United States. Just because I disagree with him does not remove the obligation of showing honor. It makes it more difficult. It makes it easier to badmouth him in public. It makes him easy. The question is, are we going to do what God wants us to do? There are those who curse and refuse to bless. What is the obvious other implication? Those of us who still have parents around those of us whose parents are deceased but their memory is still around continue to have an obligation to bless and show honor to them to whatever extent we can in whatever situation God puts us in that's what we are called to do Now you know why we didn't make it through the book of Proverbs. We did two verses. And the next one's even better. There are those, verse 12, who are pure in their own eyes and yet are not cleansed of their filth. We're going to end with this verse. Does this sound familiar to another verse? There are those who do what is right in their own eyes. There are those who are convinced, they are convinced that they're pure. They are convinced that they have never, ever, ever, ever done anything wrong. Whatever the situation, I really like this story. We have a friend. She was parked in a parking spot. 
her car was parked. It was not moving. You get the picture. This young lady pulls into the parking place next to her, taking the bumper off of her car. Okay? You got the picture. My friend is between the lines, parked, watching this from outside the car. And the young lady gets out of the car and goes, I don't know what happened. All I know is it wasn't my fault. (laughs) And my friend looks around going, you've got to be kidding me. Whose fault would it be? She didn't say that. There are people who really do believe that they are the center of the universe. And as such, whatever I do is right by definition. What is this chapter about? Arrogance and humility. Arrogance says, I am the standard of right and wrong. There are those who are pure in their own eyes. They look around them and everything they do is right. But they are still wallowing in their filth. If you have gotten nothing out of the book of Proverbs, you need to get this. There is a God. You are not it. There is a God, and he has a standard of right and wrong. And you can follow it, and it leads to life. Or you can ignore it, and it leads to destruction. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> I like that. Don't I look good? I mean, let's face it. Doesn't my life measure up? And you look at them and you go, no. But we live in a very relativistic age and we refuse to look at the people and just say, no. So, how do you avoid the problem of legalism while at the same time pointing out to people Your life is not as pure as you think it is. What we need to understand is that when we are proclaiming God's word, we are proclaiming God's word. We are not proclaiming my opinions. I've shared lots of my opinions in this class. But the reality is you can ignore my opinions all day long. And it won't hurt God's feeling at all. But when you ignore the word of God and treat it as simply someone else's opinion, you're in trouble. Because God is is stating what will happen if you go down that path. Arrogance says, I know what is right, and I am pure in my own eyes. Humility acknowledges that we do, in fact, fall short of God's requirement. Now, here is the cool part of all this. You ready for this? The only way to become pure is to acknowledge your filth and come to Christ 
who will make you pure. We don't do people favors by changing the requirements of God in order to make people look better. We want people to acknowledge their filth so they will come to a God who has promised to make them clean. Though your sin be as scarlet, it shall be as white as snow if you work real hard at it. No. If you come to Christ, then your sin... Huh. I mean, from a pure color standpoint, this just doesn't make any sense. You have sin that is scarlet, you have blood that is red, and you mix the two together, and you will be as white as snow. Every one of you in this classroom knows people who think their lives are pure. And you, it's obvious to you that they've got a problem. Unfortunately, most of us in this room have the same problem ourselves. Now, we will acknowledge certain sins, okay? Yes, I've got a problem with over here, but don't go looking for those problems over there because that's not a really problem. That's not, that's not a problem. Everybody does that. We need to acknowledge the fact Arrogance says, I'm okay. Humility comes to the cross and says, I'm not okay. But Christ can make me pure. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the work that you have done to make us pure. I pray, Lord, that we would have the humility to acknowledge our debt to those who came before us and our debt to Christ. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.